Good morning. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Today on Byline Mendocino, we'll start by hearing from teenagers doing radio in Mendocino County. I talked with Marshall Brown of KAKX 89.3 FM, the radio station broadcasting 24 hours a day from Mendocino High School, a whole station of teenagers on the air right here on the coast. I also visited the Willits Charter School and talked with Billy Hetherington, who teaches radio production, and two of his students who produce programs for KLLGLP 97.9 FM in Willits. So I'm excited to play those voices for you this morning. At 9.30, I'll be talking with Fort Bragg Vice Mayor Jessica Morsell-Hay for a full update about the Georgia Pacific Mill site, which last Friday was ceded by GP in large part to the company that owns the skunk train as part of an eminent domain lawsuit by the railway. The city had been in negotiations to purchase the site itself. We'll try to sort out the details and figure out what it means to the city of Fort Bragg that almost 20% of the town is now owned by a private company that means to develop develop the oceanfront and highly polluted property, possibly exempt from state and local regulations. But first, I want to let you know that this is my last episode of Byline Mendocino. I started this show two years ago when I first became program director here at KZYX with the goal of spotlighting and amplifying local journalism in Mendocino County. I'm going to end the show now and focus this next year on expanding KZYX's local news department, including hiring a news director and developing a more substantial daily newscast. It's been fantastic to meet and interview the local reporters, editors, publishers, broadcasters, and newsmakers I've featured on Byline Mendocino these two years. Uh, starting in December, Joy LeClaire and Forthright Radio will move into this time slot, alternating with Bob Bashansky and Politics, a Love Story, which I think is a very nice pairing for a Friday morning. Um, so for my last show today, I'm happy to look f- toward the future featuring a growing group of broadcasters from the up-and-coming generation, our teenagers. Um, Last week, I traveled to Mendocino High School, the home of KAKX 89.3 FM. This is a radio station programmed entirely by high schoolers uh, here in Mendocino County, and I talked with their teacher, Marshall Brown. So I'm going to play that interview now, and after that, I'm going to play uh, the interview, well, that we all did together at the radio production class at the Willits Charter School with Billy Hetherington and two of his students who broadcast on KLLGLP 97.9 FM in Willits. So enjoy. I hope you find it as exciting as I do. My name is Marshall Brown, and I am the teacher of record and general manager of the Media Lab program and the radio station KAKX 89.3 FM uh, at Mendocino High School. KAKX 89.3 FM, that is so cool. How long has this student radio station been here? It has been around since the mid-90s. I I wouldn't have an exact date, but mid-90s, 94, 96. Um, And it was started by Dave Smith and David Hay. And um, kind of our, our... our grandmother and grandfather, Tom and Vicky over at KOZT, were some of the founding members and donated a lot of the initial gear and um, and all of that. So we've been around for, we're getting close to 30 years now. And why did they start the radio station here? So Mendocino High School historically 
has been really on the cutting edge, at least from what I've gathered, on the cutting edge of experiential learning and project-based learning. Um, the recording program dates back to the 70s, and we had a really robust video arts program in the 90s and the early 2000s. And we were actually one of the first six schools in the nation um, in 1990 through 1992 to actually have an internet connection. So we had six computers in the classroom kind of right behind where our station is and we had NASA engineers install our internet connection um, and like I said, yeah, one of the first six schools in the nation to have that. So, you know, it's all about hands-on learning, experiential learning and, and really just, you know, getting dirty with, um, you know, all of the, the subject matter and the content of what you're learning. So that's definitely been our shtick for a long time from what I've learned. You know, I've only been doing this for, this is my 10th year teaching now, um, but in talking with a lot of my colleagues, um, either who've retired or who've been around for a long time, you know, project-based learning is, is definitely one of our big things. So, Okay, so tell me about your broadcast schedule. What is, what, if people are listening to KAKX, what are they going to hear? Uh, they're going to hear 99% of the time a lot of music. Uh, music is definitely our bread and butter. It's the easiest thing to reproduce uh, and, and what gets the students engaged the most is being able to share their uh, music choice and choices and interests in, in all of that. So definitely, if you tune in, you'll hear a lot of music, but you'll hear a lot of variety of music. So you might listen at you know eight or nine o'clock in the morning and hear an alternative indie show, and then at like noon you'll hear an indie pop, like uh, just it's just such a, a wild. You'll hear country the hour after that, and then you hear electronic the following, and then you'll get like hip hop instrumentals after that. So when you tune in, you never really know what you're going to get. And a lot of our fans and you know uh, followers that have listened to us for a long time definitely say the same thing. They're like, we never really know what we're going to be listening to, but we're very happy that it's on, and, and it's just such a it's a variety. So well, and so tell me about the programmers themselves. They're students. Yeah, so we have in my program it's a it's a career technical education course. So students enroll in either podcast or radio production, and then our advancing level courses is video and music. Um, so we have about fifty two students in the program right now, and everybody's first project is making a radio show and kind of providing content for our content machine for the radio station. So you have fifty two radio shows that are produced by young people a year. So I wouldn't say 52. Uh, we have students partner up for this first project so that everybody kind of works together on, on kind of all of that. Um, just checking the time here. We're, we're doing a live show at the same time we're, we're doing this. So <laughs> yeah, Thank uh, you very much for, <laughs> for talking to me. There might be some random pauses. Uh, anyway, we have – so I we just wrapped up our first – slew of radio shows so the month of september we produced 38 hours of pre-recorded content so yeah just shy of you know yeah 40 hours which is pretty wild so definitely that is wild so this is all music that's kind of chosen and curated and back announced and all that by student radio show hosts exactly yeah all by all by our teenagers so um ranging from freshmen all the way to seniors um and some of them are confident with computers and technology and some of them have never really used a PC and never really done any kind of audio editing and you know that's just how they they get their feet wet is just producing these one hour back announce for promote um, they'll throw in some 
public service announcements that might be a little more on the canned side from the ad council but you know it's 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 what kind of gets gets it going because we have to air those too so well that's one fact of radio is that you always have to have content mm-hmm. all the time it never stops never, never stops content all the time <laughs> and that's always been been part of at least since i took over the program i'm like we got to like make sure we have fresh content and really you know what's 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 after music shows like news shows can we do talk shows sports talk um we have a we have a sports club that is fairly popular and i'm working with that club leader on you know okay well can we do a one hour show once a week or a one hour show every other week and, and just have sports talk and you know some of those students are are not quite sold on the concept yet but we're we're developing a way to kind of get that going and you know so it's it's a constant um, it's a work in progress, and, and we're, we're never really fully we're satisfied. We're happy with what we're doing, but we're always trying to do more and, and kind of just try and bring more to the community since that's pretty much our, our mission is try to just, you know, bring, bring some fun for everybody. Well, you also do, I think you're known for doing some sports reporting, so actually commentating the sports the games for Mendocino High School. Can you talk about that program and, and how that works? Yeah, so that started back in 2014. Well, that has its own roots in the in the 90s and the 2000s where we were calling football games and you know technology was a little bit older at the time but you know we definitely we've been broadcasting games when we can and we we took a pause for a while and when i took the program over in 2013 one of my big things was definitely we got to bring back the the sports casting program so we gave it a couple dry runs in 2014 and 15 got some students excited about it and now we have more modern equipment and we definitely like basketball seasons are big kind of like the olympics around here basketball's big both as athletes and as spectators but for us we we broadcast and and live stream on video as well every single basketball game and and it's all totally put together by the students and i'm just kind of running around like a madman making sure that at least all the legal stuff is tended to with the the fcc and all that since i'm charged with that but um they they come up with all the content and and the you know what's what's needed for that so totally i'm just so curious about how you might teach or encourage folks to announce games like what is the skill there and how do the kids do with it the skill there is essentially it comes down to just uh i don't know gonna have to think about that right it's as simple as me just asking really like that's kind of how it's been it's like i say hey we're gonna do this does this interest you and then they go we're interested in this i'm saying okay great like go watch some espn watch watch what the big leaguers do and then come back to me and let's have a discussion about that and then i have some packets some you know you know do's and don'ts of broadcasting and um at that point i'll show them kind of some i'll show a student you know, here's what we've done in the past. Here's what we'd like to do going forward, and kind of constantly try and do a little bit better each game. Um, well, what do you find makes a good sports commentator? Or what, what do you call it? Calling a game? Like yeah. what? What makes it work? What makes it good? What makes it good? Just being able to describe it in a way that is fun and engaging. That that also gives enough information without sounding too complicated at the same time so just having that color commentator who can kind of be a little witty and fun at the same time while you have your play-by-play announcer who's really giving the detail of the game and kind of describing the actions and having those you know those those two students kind of really work in tandem closely um that's definitely the the big the big ask all right so there's a two there's kind of two roles the play-by-play and the commentator and I'm just so curious about this because don't 
don't the the people on who are calling the game don't they need to understand how the game works like do you have to train students in how basketball works yeah so a lot of the time Yes, because I, I, the, the people who know the game the most are the players themselves. And more frequently, actually, if I have a varsity boy basketball player, they'll commentate the JV boys game. So that gives me that extra level of like, okay, they know the game technically, so that helps us a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've just done a bunch of research and have a lot of packets. And um, I have a, a special curated playlist on YouTube and a couple other places where you know I say, all right, let's watch this and let's see how they're doing this. And um, you know who's going to be the color commentator who's going to do play-by-play um and all of that so all right so we're always hearing that uh that we want to have young people's voices on the air Mm -hmm. on kzyx and you are exclusively young people's voices on the air so what are some of the joys of doing it and what are some of the challenges of young people in radio the joys, is, oh my goodness, there's there's far too many that I could just give. Um, the joys is, for me, just being able to provide a safe place that students can express themselves, whether it's their music choice or how they want to explain it in their radio shows, whatever. Um, just at bare minimum, having the place so that they can make the content. Um, and these are students who may not necessarily want to do any kind of public speaking, or these are the students who may not feel super confident in themselves, or they may not feel super great about their music interests, and just being able to see them light up like a firecracker when they're given an opportunity, like, all right, cool, here's these cool toys, tools, really. I say they're shiny toys at first, but I'm like, oh, these are tools now once you kind of start making your first few shows. And, and they just get to start making the content and get all like excited. Like that's that's how, that's why I do it and why I love to, to do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, really, it, that's kind of the, the the main thing. Is just that that brings the most ultimate ultimate sense of joy. Um, but then seeing the the collaboration that just inherently takes place. You know, students may not necessarily, at least some teenagers that you know different social crews, however you want to nail it, um, that, that may not necessarily work together or find a common ground in radio. And they end up going, oh, great, like, you know, we can we can produce this segment together and, and, and just that camaraderie that comes with radio um, and, and running the station. Um, definitely, that's another, another joy in it. Um, uh, challenges. Um, what would be some of the challenges? Definitely... They're teenagers, and they're busy, and they, they do a lot of other things. And we have a very small school. We have 175 students-ish right around there. And, you know, our one of our program directors is the school president. <laughs> and our station student station manager is, like, the class president and also plays all these sports. So, like, the hardest thing for me is trying to really like I have to pay really close attention about burning these these teenagers out and because I've accidentally not by even knowing I was doing it but I've had some students like totally crash on me and essentially like not drop off the face of the earth but there's like I need to take a break for at least a month while I work on these other things or because radio is incredibly time consuming to produce it's incredibly time consuming i mean it was, even if you're just doing one show a week like it's a lot to do um and i make myself do it every monday it, it definitely can get it's 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 a lot on top of whatever else you're doing so that's probably the biggest challenge is trying to find a way to 
get them excited and engaged and then i it's something i have to take on is kind of help them manage their time and make sure like okay like i see you're doing this event for asb like should you be doing your radio show this week do we need to punt it and have someone else cover your show stuff like that so i think that's kind of the the biggest challenge the the subject matter in of itself most students it's an elective so they're electing to be here so like i'm not necessarily seeing behavior issues in the class or anything like that so that's not really necessarily a challenge it's just when they get here how are we using our time effectively and and kind of making sure there's always kind of a purpose to what we're doing and 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 keeping things relevant um and and all of that so have you had any students go on to a career in broadcasting we've had i've had three students move on to Maybe four, not into broadcasting, but they, they got to, I had two students go through KCSE down in Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz. I had one student go through KDVS at K, uh, in Davis, UC Davis. And we had another student work at Port Southern Portland University or somewhere, somewhere in Oregon. I had another student do um, internet streaming. They had internet streaming stations. So I have had at least four or five students go through the radio programs at various ucs and csus um i've had one student one student is signed apparently i haven't i forget exactly which label it is but i have one student who's signed by uh one of jay-z's record labels and he's like producing music under a label right now so that's just one out of several hundred but still pretty cool that he's he's making music and and, and doing that so yeah that's pretty much the gist of it yeah we've had you know it's not necessarily at least for me like they may not necessarily do this as a career in the future but it's just the, it's the soft skills and the the professional traits that any job employer would would want to seek when they go through the program and that's that's our big mission here at mendocino high school for for career technical education and our six pathways it's like you may not necessarily go into culinary arts but you may not necessarily go into woodworking we want you to take these classes and be interested and potentially pursue them as careers, but at minimum, you're walking away with some 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 well-polished, marketable job skills that you'll be able to take kind of anywhere in, in whatever career you do. So that's been a big one. And in addition to the pre-recorded shows that you do with the students, we're sitting in here right now while you're helping a student engineer their live show. So you've also got a whole schedule of live programs too. Yeah, so we, we do... This has always kind of changed here and there over the years, but this last, you know, with the pandemic, we realized that making live shows is like, that's our, our, that's the most important thing we need to just keep feeding. And that kind of goes back and forth with me and trying to maintain that, that logic of not trying to burn people out. Um, and it took a couple of years to figure it out, but yeah, every Monday I'm sitting here with Maxwell right now and he does a show every other week. And then I have about 10, 11 students on a rotation. So it's every other week someone does a show, and it's all on a rotation. So one student may not necessarily do a show for two to three weeks, and then they'll do one, and it's able to be, be managed. And um, I do a show every Monday from 7 to 8 on... And then we have a couple staff members. So I have a, our one of our fifth grade teachers. He does a show and will on occasion feature you know some of his students. He'll like play game shows or interviews with some of his students. And then our 
uh, six, eight, grade six through eight resource teacher. So one of our special education teacher, uh, he's, he's a music junkie and he, he just loves, he, he worked at a college station back in Los Angeles in the nineties. And, and when he moved up here a few years ago, he found out we had a radio station. He's like, I want to start programming. So I was like, great, let's do it. So he's also one of our, our programmers and he does a show with his daughter every Friday and we've had our athletic director do a show. Our superintendent of schools has done a show before. Um, so, yeah, we try to keep it to about four or five live shows a week at minimum. Uh, during the pandemic, we were almost popping. We had 15 live shows in a week. And I was, like, engineering most of them from my, my home studio in the bedroom and, and just kind of making that all happen. And, yeah, like, last, you know, last school year was a bit of a, a wild time, but it was... It was worth it and fun, and I think we're still kind of riding that energy of relevancy. Like, there was a lot of fun had. Let's keep this going. And it's not as crazy as the, you know, 15 shows we were doing a week, but the five or six shows that we're doing right now are really um, engaging and fun, and, and everybody's having a blast. So. All right, and who, where do you broadcast to? Who can hear you and how? So uh, you can hear us as far north as Jug Handle, the Jug Handle Bridge, and as far south as the Navarro Grade before you get to the Highway 1 and 128. And as far east is the hill that gets you to about Tunzi's Ranch on Compucaya Road. And then our my joke that I tell my students is that we're about like eight miles west into the ocean. Um, our our sphere of influence is pretty wide into the ocean. So, so the whales are listening. Whale, whale, whales are definitely listening, um, <laughs> for sure. So um, we're hoping to increase that. We got a big big grant through the the strong workforce program, the state issues, and uh, we got a sixty thousand dollar grant last school year. And we're hoping to increase that range, but we don't really quite know what we can do legally yet with our, our license through the FCC. But we're we're trying to do more and provide more. But you know, if you're not in our sphere of influence, you can always go to kakx.org/stream, and you can stream us on TuneIn, Radio Garden. You can download our, our M3U file and listen to on VLC or Windows Media Player. Uh, so there's definitely ways to access us from anywhere across the globe. Right, so anyone can hear you. Um, let me ask you one last sort of bigger picture question, which is we're both radio station nerds uh, with our pro program director roles or whatever. Um, and I wonder how, you know, we have you guys, we have the, the, the commercial stations, we have the nonprofit stations, we have the LPFMs. How do we all interact with each other? What, how can we work together? amplify each other why do we matter i think it starts with a conversation i think you know you reaching out to me all you know uh, all that time long ago whenever we started emailing each other going like hey we need to like connect and like kind of you know see where where we're at and and it just starts with that conversation i think and you know i know that i'm at, at not necessarily fault but i know that there have been people that I should have emailed a while ago just to kind of like have a conversation and say, hey, like, let's let's kind of work together. Um, radio is definitely a community sport, whether you're at, in a commercial environment or in an LPFM state and sharing resources and having dialogue. And, and, and I don't know, I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing programs and, and just it's it's trying to share 
in the art form wherever you can and, and I think it just starts with with having a conversation so kind of like what we're doing right now like this is a, a good a good start and and hopefully this is a good beginning towards a, a, a wonderful collaboration with you guys in the future and and I know that it's it's it starts with that and then when once other people do it then that's kind of where where, where it goes you know? any chance of hearing some of your students voices on kzyx of course no that's we would we would love for that to happen um, we have we have like I said we have over 50 of them that are that are totally excited about radio and 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 uh, want to help provide that experience for for others and far and wide so yeah for sure we have lots of students who'd be be happy to do that so well we can't wait to hear them thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much for coming by oh it's so cool Okay, that was Marshall Brown of KAKX 89.3 FM, Mendocino High School Broadcasting. I'm Alicia Bales. This is Byline Mendocino featuring youth radio today. Uh, and we're going to hear now an interview with uh, Billy Hetherington, Cheyenne, and Jacob, who are part of the radio production class at Willits Charter School. At, and they broadcast on KLLG 97.9 LPFM in Willits. So, uh, how uh, how are you? Uh, what's uh, wh- how are you liking uh, the radio production? Um, <laughs> it's really I really enjoy it because I get to work with my community on a different level. I am chewing a cough drop, so you I'm able to hear it. Um, but I really like it because I get to work with my community in, in a different level than I usually do. Um, and it's, it's opening up a whole other possibility. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, where do you see this, uh, the skill set, uh, leading you? I don't know if I'm going to continue the skills that I have here. I definitely think that like, no matter where I go, maybe I could get involved with a local, um, radio show but i don't think this is like going to be like my career or like you know how i make my money what would you what would you say to uh students that might be considering taking the radio production class in the future what do you what like what would uh wh- how would you sell this class to uh, the younger kids uh, that might oh. be considering taking radio production um i think it's it's good to be local and it's good to work with like your community and it's really good to like get your name out there especially if you know networking and things like that um it's just a really good opportunity and it's like a door you might as well take you know like i don't have to be here but i am you know what i mean what's uh, what's one thing that you've learned from doing this class um don't eat cough drops when you're getting an interview thank you <laughs> It's going to be the sound bite for uh, everything that Alicia does from here on out. I'm doing a public service. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Awesome. That's pretty funny. Jacob, do you uh, do you want to get a little interview time? You've got all of one minute. Yeah. Pull it over. Come on. Over. Come on. Okay. Uh, w- uh, what's your name? Jacob. Excellent. So uh, what's something that you've learned doing radio production at Willits Charter School? Uh, I actually learned how to do Audacity, which is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And what is Audacity? It's a... Uh, editing program uh-huh. would uh and what uh do you see yourself using these skills in the future maybe if i ever get into radio 
Now, you recently recorded some sound effects uh, type <laughs> things. Was that something that you did before radio production, or is it something that you've kind of been inspired by radio production to do? I think I did it before, but I don't remember. Wrong answer. Um, <laughs> okay, what should we ask? We call you Mr. Billy. No, Mr. Billy, yeah, we sure. We call him Gangster the Thug. Yeah, Gangster the Thug. What do we ask him? Can I interview him? Yeah. Um, how did you first get started in your whole theatrical slash community stuff? That's a, that's a good question. I originally did a production years ago here, and I think it was like the Will, Willits Children's Theater uh, by Jackie Pelletier, I think, was running it when I was around eight. And I was, uh, it was Pied Piper. I got cast as the King Rat, and it w actually stemmed from a mistake that happened. Uh, there was a scene where the rats, all, the, all my little minion rats were supposed to come out and, and collect me, and they never came out. And it kind of left me on stage there, and I felt like I had to fill this space and uh and so i uh, started doing some things and i got reactions from the audience and that's when i knew like wow this is the coolest thing in the world to be able to affect so many people all at once just by doing these little things and uh uh continued on for years and years and years and yeah i've been doing it ever since which was gosh 30 something 38 years ago yeah you are kind of old <laughs> <laughs> <Me now>. <laughs> <laughs> um so, Billy, how did this program get started, and what do you do? That is another excellent question. So we, uh, it was actually just, uh, I came, I started a school year one year, and right before the school year started, they said, hey, we would like for you, we have an opportunity to work with KLLG, uh, which is our local radio station, 97.9 LPFM, and, uh, and would you be willing to take that on? And I, at that point, had absolutely zero radio experience other than doing um, You Speaks Out with Dan Roberts on KZYX years and years ago. And and that was really my only radio experience. So I quickly acclimated myself. I got a lot of training through KZY, or I'm sorry, KLLG. Uh, there was a woman working there at the time, Lauren, that uh, really brought me under her wing and, and taught me kind of the, all the things that I needed to know. And then it was just kind of trial and error and just jumping into it and learning along with the students, which has made it really fun because uh, I've learned things. I've probably learned more from my students than I have uh, initially you know and just and us learning together has been really fun too so um, my hopes for the future of this class I mean I love where it's at I love getting the students voices and the youth voices on the radio I love giving space as always for the creativity of the youth I think it's such an important thing and having their voices heard within the community whether it's just you know quick little introductions or doing real in-depth uh, talking about what's going on with them I think now more than ever it's really important for the the, the youth voices to be heard out in the community because uh, you guys are our future and if there's anything uh, that anybody can take away it's how can we help you guys to achieve your goals and uh, make your dreams become reality so you know just by you putting yourself and lending yourself to the community like you said Cheyenne um, we can support that and I think you know it's all for the future and you guys are the future so for sure. And um, just to top that off, I just want to make sure, you know, everyone knows I am your favorite student. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I have a question for you, Cheyenne. Okay. Um, when's your show and how can people hear it? Oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> Alicia, that's a great question. Thank you. 
Um, my my show is on Fridays, 11 a.m. to noon at KLGLP 97.9 Willits, California. And the replays are always on Sundays, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Awesome. So you just got to tune in. And remember that uh, KLLG is a low-power FM station, so it's really, we get a 10-mile, 10, 10 to 15-mile radius from okay. the center of Willits. So just something to remember. As you're cruising through Willits, tap into 97.9, yeah. and uh, on a Friday at 11, and you can hear the wonderful Shy <laughs> do her thing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. And then we got to press stop. Okay, the future is bright for radio in Mendocino County with youth all over the county learning radio production. This is Alicia Bales. That was Billy Hetherington, the teacher of the radio production class at Willits Charter School, and two of his radio production students, Cheyenne and Jacob. This is Byline Mendocino. When we come back, we'll get an update from Vice Mayor of Fort Bragg, Jessica Morsell Hay, about the latest developments at the GP Mill site. Stay tuned. I am leaving Mississippi in the evening rain These belts of towns wear satin gowns and I have been free The Ridolian guides my hands through the radio Where would I be in times like these without the song Loretta wrote Cause when you can't find a friend, you still got the radio. When you can't find a friend, you still got the radio. The radio. Oh, listen to the radio. This the is radio. Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Since 2002, when the Georgia Pacific Mill site was shut down, GP has been negotiating to sell the land right along the coast on, in Fort Bragg. Last Friday, after many years of negotiations, they ceded the 272-acre mill site to Mendocino Railway, who had filed an eminent domain claim trying to force GP to sell to them. The city of Fort Bragg was also in talks with GP to buy the land and was fairly far along in plans to remediate and restore the site, which is a very toxic legacy from its years as a lumber mill, and it is still not fully known the extent or cost of the cleanup that will be needed at the site. My guest is Jessica Morsell Hay. She's the vice mayor of Fort Bragg. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here to help us sort out the, the many details of this situation with the GP Mill site. I want to start by asking you, um, how serious were the city of Fort Bragg's negotiations with Georgia Pacific to buy the mill site? And what's your reaction to the news that GP ceded it to Mendocino Railway? All right. Well, um, we were we were quite far along. We uh, entered into negotiations with them in 2019, and um, in 2021 we had started working through a uh, purchase agreement with them. So we uh, went as far as to you know we were we were in the throes of, of due diligence here. We hired um, some specialized attorneys out of the East Coast. We had done completed our phase one report on the liabilities there. We had gone through the process of um, seeking out and negotiating environmental liability insurance to protect the city from unknown liabilities. And we'd also pulled uh, $3.5 million in bonds in order to be able to um, 
show basically DTSC that we had the finances, that we had the means to execute the remaining cleanup that has been um, required, that is being required by them, which is estimated right now at about $3 million. The the city council um, ended up deciding to go after ownership of the land because we've heard loud and clear from the community a desire for um, much more extensive restoration than what's going to be required from DTSC. And we felt like the best way to ensure that vision was to have uh, actual municipal control over that land. We also were looking at ways to prioritize the highest and best use for the public without it being just dictated by the open market and being able to prioritize um, restorative industry in a way that you just really can't with zoning. So we had gotten we had gotten far. We we were right on the edge. If but essentially the eminent domain claim um, is what put it on pause. We and GP as we were negotiating with them, and that came up. Essentially, they told us that they were going to deny the claim, that they were going to fight that claim and proceed with us in our acquisition of the land. So huh. when they ceded the property on Friday, it was um, out of left field for us. However, you know, you might note that um, shiny mailers hit doorsteps the same day. So I, um, you know, I, it clearly wasn't a surprise for everyone. <laughs> uh -huh. So, uh, yeah. So GP and Mendocino Railway obviously knew something was going on. They sent out these, uh, I wouldn't call them slick because they're like newsprint mailers, but they're, you know, they're, they're pretty, uh, expensive looking uh and yes. they went out to everybody on the coast uh, from the mendocino railway i would i want to ask you who or what is mendocino railway and how were they able to file an eminent domain claim for the gp mill site i mean that just i don't think everybody has a grasp on what eminent domain is or does and how this railway could file a claim and force gp to to cede the land to them so they claim uh, federal utility status as a utility as a railway and that and they own the skunk train so we're talking about this train. like uh kind of tourist attraction that goes a couple miles inland right and even if it went to willits from willits the line hasn't been connected to the national rail system for i, I believe about two decades so um the city has filed a claim challenging their status as a utility based based on the fact that we deem them um, ex essentially an excursion train that they that they are not functioning as a utility. However, they um, used that utility status to file eminent domain on this property, and instead of um, instead of our, I guess you know continuing to push back on that on what the use actually was going to be and how it was going to serve the. Um, freight or passenger um, transport gp ended up just seeding the property so they never actually had to argue how huh. how they were going to you know fulfill that purpose have you found out at all what what happened there why they changed their mind and decided to go ahead and seed the seed the land no all we have is speculation uh -huh. i mean what's what's been clear is that gp's primary concern has been um essentially being they they they're getting out of the historic liability, getting divesting themselves of the historic liability on the property and wanting to be done with it. Um, and they must have 
I think they rolled the dice here mm-hmm. and we're hoping that this was this was going to be the shorter path to doing so, even though the city again, we had lined up um, environmental liability insurance to both protect the community of Fort Bragg from any potential unknowns, but also to help prevent any liability from um bouncing back on GP mm-hmm. and in order to give them those assurances. What is the liability that you are um, concerned about out there? I, th- I, I think it's um, historically a very toxic site. Is that right? That's right. And there has, uh, there has been extensive cleanup over the last 20 years. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. Tens of millions of dollars have gone into cleanup out there. At this point, the mill ponds are where um, they're still dioxins um i believe there's also some arsenic but the dioxins are the biggest concern and dtsc i mean there is there has been extensive testing however there is also a lot of um, concrete a lot of asphalt that's still capping much of the land on the southern end there um but but really the big concern right now are those ponds um for us the unknowns are there's a berm that could get infringed upon with ocean with sea level rise and with you know king tides and stuff at which point dioxins could be released into the ocean and so some some measures need to be taken um and i think the minimum that dtse is requiring is to shore up the berm um for starters which is an expensive prospect um and I believe to cap the toxins. I'm sorry, I'm, I haven't mm-hmm. looked at it recently. Well, do you know if Mendocino Railway, uh, have you heard anything about their plans to deal with this toxic site? I have not. You'll have to talk to them about yeah, it. I, and I will. Um, I will. I, <laughs> I, what I can tell you is that with the federal um, utility status, there is, they, they frequently make the argument that they're not subject to state or local oversight. And um, because they're under federal oversight. And so the toxic liability out there is overseen by DTSC, which is a state agency. So this, you know, and that's part of why we, uh, I personally have had so many concerns about them um, acquiring this property, because if they're not subject to DTSC and they're willing to take on this liability, but they're arguing that they're exempt, where does that leave us? Will we? Will right. the community see the level of cleanup that it's been asking for, or even the the minimum that the the that DTTS that DTSC is requiring? Yeah, and that level of exemption, if they truly consider themselves a a federally regulated utility uh, for this this excursion train, as you said, um, what kind of incentives does this create for them to pursue this land for development? Because if they consider themselves uh, exempt from state and local regulations, that might get, like sweeten the pot for developers to come in and, and work with them without having to deal with some of these like more onerous to developers regulations. Right. And that's, and that's, that's where I have a lot of concern as well, you know, and they, and they have said that they will work with the city in good faith. Um, Saying something and doing it are two very different things, however. And so that's why, you know, we are doing our best to ensure that they will be subject to um, the same health and safety requirements and oversight (laughs) as any other developer in town would be, you know, Right. Well, and also you said you were quite far along in the city of Fort Bragg's planning for the site. Um, can we just talk about the difference between Fort Bragg's plans and the skunk trains plans for the GP mill site? And, uh, it, and 
kind of let us know are the the city of Fort Bragg's plans they just go they're just gone now this is a done deal and um and there's no hope of of stopping this sale to this private company or are you going to challenge the sale there the sale is a done deal it's there was a, a court order it's done there's we don't have a a mechanism left to us to my knowledge um on that front however you know the plans that's a complicated question because uh, the city's been working for about 16 years on um a plan for the whole mill site as far as rezoning goes and doing an amendment to um to the the land use um documents sorry uh the however okay so in the last year or two we split it we split it apart and started focusing on the north versus versus the south end in 2019 mendocino rail or the skunk train they they purchased the north half and and that was the the half that had been kind of worked through the most that that had the clearest vision so we shifted our focus there to trying to fast track really what that that zone new zoning would be and so that we could submit it to the coastal commission and um and that there was a lot of partnership. There was close partnership with Mendocino Rail, and we're trying to um, find the sweet spot between what the community was asking for and what their vision was, and really working through that. The South End has been actually a bit more contentious about what should happen. There has there's been a less specific vision, and and what from the city perspective i know at least for me what became clear was that for the south end if there was going to be industry that it would behoove the city for it to be um re- some kind of restorative industry that we prioritize restorative energy uh, industry that we find a way to make sure that we are bringing in high economic multipliers so not just more service jobs but specialized work that can be higher paying and you know get more living wage jobs into town and so we we developed this we've been working on a strategic plan we we it should be coming forth forward here it was based on the mill site um the economic strategic plan has kind of taken focus on blue economy and and really building this restorative industry hub based on ocean resources and it would be you know really creating these partnerships with the harbor and our um you know mendocino college and sherwood band of pomo and we have all these players at the table around this exciting conversation so not having the mill site to work with shifts that but it's not the jig's not up you know (laughs) we we definitely um we can find other ways to make sure that we're we're continuing to to move towards a diversified industry and and um these new restorative models but it's just a little a little harder we have a little less to work with mm-hmm. yeah it's um with. it's something like 20 percent of the town now is going to be owned by the mendocino rail yeah and you know i'd like to clarify too the 272 acres that they uh filed imminent domain on aren't all on the mill site so it's the remaining land on the southern end and then um the mouth of pudding creek so i believe there's about 70 acres on the north and south end of pudding creek which the city had also been um working on with partners essentially uh i mean our our city manager had done incredible work here i have to say she had we had uh fish we were working with fish and wildlife trout unlimited noaa state parks and nature conservancy to acquire that land restore it 
and shifted into state parks. So it would be, we'd be seeing restoration, conservation, (laughs) and public access. I mean, it was an incredible plan. And we had these great players at the table working collaboratively to ensure that this could happen. Mm -hmm. And we had a verbal agreement from GP. They were going to donate the land. It was going to come to the city and we were going to hold it until state parks were ready to take possession. Um, So that I think would have been incredible for our community. I, and, um, and now it's yeah. private. Now it now it is privately owned, and there are questions about public access on the entire site because it's privately owned and it's going to be developed uh, by this company. Um, there's been some rumors. Oh, wait. First, I want to ask you. I mentioned this is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm talking with Jessica Morsell Hay, the vice mayor of the city of Fort Bragg. We are getting caught up on uh, the situation with the Fort Bragg mill site, which uh, the city's been in negotiation with Georgia Pacific to buy for a couple of years now. And last week, uh, jo- Georgia Pacific ceded the land to Mendocino Railway, who had filed an eminent domain lawsuit. You have challenged that eminent domain lawsuit. You're actually in court on this issue with Mendocino rail is that right we have filed a claim not not direct we have we <laughs> we filed a claim yes challenging their status as utility so so because we did not file a challenge to the eminent domain lawsuit mm-hmm. unfortunately Are you um, that and we did not do so because mm-hmm. gp gp had told us they were doing so that they were challenging that um that eminent domain claim and that they're proceeding with us on our purchase, our acquisition. So uh, (laughs) anyway, so we, we instead turned our focus to challenging their status as a public utility. And um, so we did file that claim in court and we are gearing up and and ready to go to bat here. Because this still matters for two things. One, if they believe that they're exempt from local and state regulations because they're a utility, that's going to affect the development of the site Um, and and certainly have a a consequence for the public. Um, But also, there was another case of the same company trying the same thing in another community, and that community sued about this utility status and won. So things look pretty bright for the city of Fort Bragg in challenging their status as a utility. You want to talk about that? I, you know, I don't want to be overconfident here. I, I think that I think that this is a really important topic to i think this is an, a really important case to see through um and it's going to have huge implications to to their level of accountability out there and um you know i just our focus really needs to be on on ensuring that the level of of cleanup that the community is asking for is is um, achieved and that may, public access is maintained and the highest the land is used for the highest and best public use. So uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm feeling a little cagey about that question just because, yeah, I don't want to be overly confident. I think that there there's legal precedent. I, I think that, you know, if you look at the federal definition of a, of a utility and, and, um, and the movement of freight and um, passengers, this is this is not that this is an excursion train and even if the tunnel had been opened or is to be opened the connection to the national rail line is not there mm-hmm. right so the tunnel there. that one of the tunnels that can that is on the line between fort bragg and willits has been 
has been shut down for years now. It, uh, it we mm-hmm. you haven't been able to take the skunk train all the way from Fort Bragg to Willits or or back. So it really just goes a couple miles up the line from Fort Bragg and then turns around. It's hard to see how this <laughs> could right. claim that there's some you know arterial line that connects the country. You know, it's it's you know a little half an hour hour trip there and back. Right, and you know it's I think. <laughs> the eminent domain was filed um, with the justification that the property was needed for rail operations. Yeah. And um, I think there's, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of questions that it, that, 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 that spurs. So. And if it had actually gotten to court and arguments were made, you know, we might've heard the justification, but it never got that far. Uh, yeah. And so um, there has been a, a rumor that, um, that there's some connection here between the Mendocino railway and the NCRA line and the weird plan to haul coal along the NCRA line from uh, the North coast railroad authority from, uh, from the Bay area up to Humboldt along the, what is um, planned to be the great Redwood trail. Is there any truth to those rumors or is that just speculation? I've, I've heard that connection made by sources I hold to be very credible. Um, however, I do not have any documentation. So um, I, I do know that that Robert Pinoli in our city council meeting on Monday, the 22nd, uh, publicly stated that there were no intentions to ship coal um, through Fort Bragg. Well, so- hey, silver linings. <laughs> But again, people have made many promises along this road, and and now we're seeing surprises. So who knows what's going to yeah. happen? I guess. And I would say that you know part of part of why the relationship between Mendocino Rail and the city is as strained as it is has to do with you know discrepancies between how you speak to a matter and how you behave. You know, the actual you, know, you can t- you can say one thing, but really your actions are what are going to tell the real story so so i just you know i hear them saying they're doing this in good faith and that they're gonna do great things for the community and i'm rooting for that and i'm rooting for them and you know the city wants to work with them to ensure that and that's why we're that's why we are going after um that's why we're asking that they be required basically to you know, um, be subject to local and state oversight as they proceed here. All right. Well, Jessica Morsell, hey, um, we are running out of time. Do you just want to give us briefly a sense of the next steps and what people should watch out for as this situation moves forward and how people can get involved if they want to? Uh, Yes. In January, excuse me, we're we are um, organizing a community forum to get together and um, have an opportunity to share out information and and, uh, address the subject. So I'm not sure quite the form it's going to take, but stay tuned. We are going to be planning a community forum. Um, I've been hearing from the community that folks want an opportunity to uh, get together and and problem solve and troubleshoot yeah. and get more information so we are we're going to be creating the space for that and is mendocino rail going to be doing anything along those lines here getting input from the community about the site or anything that, that you've heard oh, of? good question good question yeah I mean, i'm sure that you know i'm sure they i'm sure they will be 
and they well, have a lot of information from the community process that was going for the last 16 years so all right well thank you so much for the update i hope that we at least elucidated some of it like it's very very complicated and it was a, a shocking turn of events last friday when gp announced that they were ceding the land of course mendocino rail just still has to pay for it it wasn't free they didn't get it as an eminent domain gift they still have to pay what did you say 1.4 million dollars for it i think it was 1.23 was the last mm-hmm. number i saw okay 1.23 million 272 still. acres along the mendocino <laughs> coast not a bad deal uh-uh no. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the air to to help us understand it. And uh, we'll definitely also reach out to Mendocino Rail and hear their side of all of this. We'll continue to discuss this here on KZYX over the coming weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. This has been Byline Mendocino. I am Alicia Bales. And um, like I said, this is my last show of Byline Mendocino uh, coming up in December. Stay tuned to this time slot for Joy LeClaire and Fourth Right Radio, alternating with Politics, a Love Story with Bob Bashansky. I want to thank you very much for listening. Thanks for all your support over the last two years with Byline Mendocino. I'm going to focus now on uh, uh, beefing up KZYX's news department and bring you more local news that way, uh, working to hire a news director and create a daily newscast. So that's in the works for 2022. Thank you again, and stay tuned now for The Wondrous World of Music with Gordon Black. I just got good news. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Braggett, 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.